Well, I feel like I've been to church today. Isn't that good? I tell you what, I love coming to church, anticipating meeting with God. Don't you? And uh, excited. I'm just excited about coming and and being here. And boy, I tell you what. Thank you, Dale, for leading us in time of worship and praise wherever he went. But uh, thank you for that. And it's really good. Once upon a time in eternity at St. Peter's Gate, he greeted three new arrivals. The funerals hadn't taken place yet, so he looked at them and he asked them all one question. And he asked them this. He says, what is it that you would like to hear your family or your friends say at your funeral? Well, the first one spoke up real quickly. He says, man, I, I would just... Just be very gracious and be very happy to hear if they would say, man, he, was a, he served his community, that I served my community as a doctor and I was a family man and, you know, that they just really respected what I did and accomplished. And then a, a lady, she, she spoke up and says, and, and ah, it would just mean so much to me for them to say that I was a great teacher and, and that I was a good wife and a good mother. And then the third guy, as they all turned and looked to him, he says, well, um, I, I think I would like to hear them say, uh, look, he's moving. <laughs> Signs of life. <laughs> I tell you what, boy, there's a man that loves life. You know, he's, he's not quite ready to give it up. And I think all of us can appreciate that and would like to understand that uh, that's, that's good. Over, including this week, over the next six weeks, we will be talking about signs of life. And we will be talking about what that means for us as we examine our lives and the collected life of our church to make sure that we are truly alive. That, you know, we need to look carefully at that. You know, so often we get very wrapped up in what we believe. Doctrine. And by the way, that is very important. It's not to say it's not. But we get so wrapped up in discussing what we believe, we forget how we live. You see, if we don't know what we believe, we can't share our faith with somebody. We can't talk about Christ with others. We can't go to other people and share what we believe if we don't know. But guess what? If we don't live, what we believe then our testimony is powerless and so we are going to talk about signs of life we're going to talk about the way we live and I hope that during the six weeks that each one of you will say you know what I want to set aside this time this summer to really evaluate some things in my life personally and then join with us as we evaluate our church and, and we look and say, what does it mean to be alive in Christ? Tell you, we don't have to look, for an example, we don't have to look very far. Our example, of course, is the incarnation of Christ. Christ coming in the flesh. It is the most powerful, it is the most eloquent picture of Christianity that we can find. That Christ would leave the security, the splendor of, of heaven and come in the form of a human, form of a man into the insecurity, the, the, the squalor, I guess is a good word, for uh, 
the fact that he would leave all of that and come here just for the purpose so that we could know the Father's love should be a clear and unmistakable message to all of us who call ourselves Christians or Christ followers. I kind of like that term, Christ followers. You know, everybody's a Christian nowadays, a Christ follower, someone who is following Christ. We should exhibit certain signs of life. The evidence should be a commitment to our Lord. Some of these are very obvious. Some of these signs are, are things that can be seen very easily. It can be opening up our Bible and, and studying it. It could be having uh, a, you know, a private moment of prayer. It, it, it could be writing out a tithing check. It could be resisting some type of personal temptation. Some of these things are, are, are more personal and, and private and can be seen by a few. But what about the world at large? Can they see us as ambassadors for God, ones that are sent out, can they see this in our life? Do those that are around us have to question or wonder if I'm a Christ follower? I'm surprised how often when I talk to teenagers, specific, specifically because I have some, and they'll start in a dating relationship, and I always ask them the first question when I talk to them, it says, are they a believer? And I'm amazed how often they say, I think so. But you know what? That's true for us as adults too. You know, I think so. It's not just enough to talk about Him. It's how we live. It's our, our personal walk with the Lord is not a private thing. How, y'all have all heard that. You know, our faith is private. Guess what? It's not. It's personal. But it is not private. And so I have this personal faith in Christ, but as I develop it and as I grow and as I do that, it should be shared with others. So during our campaign, Signs of Life, we're going to explore five different signs that demonstrate that we are alive and well as an individual believer and as the body of Christ. When Christ came in His incarnation as a man... He was in bodily form, but now as He has gone to be with the Father in heaven, who's His body? We are. We are now the body of Christ. And so we're going to look at some passages, and there are many of them. You can try to follow along and flip your Bible if you're real quick and fast, but it might be easier for you just to jot down where these references are and go back, and I encourage you to read them later and, and, and look at them and, and see, see what they say. But as we do these things, we, uh, uh, we're going to examine some, some passages that talk about Christ and how He acted in bodily form as our example and then we're going to try to make an application to that in five different areas uh, personally. Now, you say, five, you're going to do all five? Yeah, I'm going to do an overview this morning. I'm going to just basically kind of touch on these five areas. And then each week as you come in here during Bible fellowship and during our worship and on Wednesday nights, each week we're really going to dive in and we're going to look at these things in detail. And we're going to try to, try to you know, really take a look at it and, and personalize it. And I hope that at the end of these six weeks our lives will be changed and will be different. The first is dusty shoes, living a relevant life. 
You know, I, I was reminded as I was going over the sermon again, uh, even last night, I was just kind of reading through it, and I, I was reminded that as I was, cam- I was camping this last weekend, and I was out doing some things out around the campground and things like that, and uh, I really hadn't done much. The wind was blowing, and it was very windy where we were, and it's walking around. But as I started coming to the camper, I looked down, and my feet were just really disgusting. They were dirty. I had shoes on, I had flip-flops on and stuff, but they were really dirty. They were dusty. And I, and I thought about this point as far as dusty shoes. What does this mean? Well, I was out and about. I was doing things. I was working in the, at the campsite. I was playing and, and relaxing, but also I was working and doing different things. But in the process of doing, my shoes became dusty. That's kind of what we're talking about. One of our verses there is Acts 10.38. First one, and this is what it says. It says, um, let me read it here. It says, You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And so we see that Christ was out and about and doing. Matthew 4.23 says, And Jesus went about Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Luke 4.18 says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and to and recovery of the sight of the blind, and set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. You know, one thing I see about Christ's life when we look at these things is He did not sit and wait for people to come. We think of the movie, you know, build it and they'll come. You know, you remember the baseball field? And uh, what was the name of that movie? I forgot it. Thank you, Field of Dreams. And, uh, you know, build it and they'll come. And so he, he, you know, centric guy, he goes and he builds this baseball field and all of a sudden... They all start coming from nowhere. But that's not what Jesus did. That's not the example He gave us. Friends, He he did not say, build this building here and sit and wait and everybody will come. That is not the example He gave us. We have this building here as a gathering place, but the example was what? He came to go. And He went. And we should follow that example. Let's look at some of these things. Uh, in John seventeen eighteen, as Jesus was praying, he says this, As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. So Jesus is praying for us, and he says, Father, just as you have sent me. Now think about it. God, Jesus came, and he was born to what? Die for us. To sacrifice. To serve. As you have sent me so also I send them. Who is them? It's us. It's Christ's followers. So he says that. Uh, as, Jesus sent, uh, as Jesus was sent to the world to represent his Father, we too would be sent to the world to represent him. There are two ways that I'd like to mention very quickly in sending that we can, we can talk about that. One we find in Matthew 5.13. We have been sent to be salt. Y'all have heard this verse, you are the salt of the earth, Matthew 5.13, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. When Jesus used this illustration, there was no questioning, questioning of what he meant. 
Many of the men were fishermen there, and they used salt to pack with the fish as they were catching them and brought it in, and they were going to have to sell it. So the salt did what? It helped slow down or retard the decay of the meat. In the same way, we as, as believers should not only influence the flavor or influence the environment, but we should what? Slow down the decay of our environment, of our, of our community. Salt also does what? Makes you thirsty. See, you know, uh, how many of y'all been to the movies lately? Many of you? You go in there and you get this great big bag of popcorn. And everybody thinks you just, they sell popcorn just because it tastes good, right? Well, no, it makes you thirsty. And so then you go and you buy the large Coke because you're really thirsty. That costs like $5.75. <laughs> I went recently and I bought a Coke. And I thought about that. You know, oh, man, that's a lot of money for a fountain drink. And it can be very expensive, but boy, I was just thirsty. Shouldn't our lives reflect Christ in such a way and impact our world around us in such a way that people begin to want, to desire, to thirst what we have? We're salt. We're sent to be salt. Second thing is, we're also sent to be light. Matthew five fourteen and 15 says, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light up a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Hmm. I thought Jesus was the light. But here he says what? We are the light. But of course, I guess it can be said that since Jesus has now gone to be with the Father, that we are his body and we are the light. And he even gives us a, a kind of a progression of verses here that kind of leads to that. John eight twelve says, Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. And then John twelve thirty five, he said to them, a little while longer, the light is with you. And John 9, 5, he says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. But in Matthew five fourteen, he says what? You. You are the light of the world. Now, we're not light in and of ourselves, there's, but yet we become the light as we what? Reflect Christ. We reflect Him. He is the light. John Stott said this. He says, The church is set in the world with a double role. As salt to arrest, or at least to hinder the process of social decay and is light to dispel the darkness. That's what we're here for as a church. That's what we're here for as individual believers. And so I hope that as we look at the, in the coming weeks at Dusty Shoes that we will see that we as a church and we as a people and individuals are out and about being salt and light and we'll certainly... Uh, as we, you know, next week we'll look very deeply into dusty shoes. Second one, worn out knees, living a yielded life. I left my house real early this morning because I just had this brainstorm and I was really going to do something kind of a little bit out of character for me. Uh, and I, I went to Walmart, which has everything, right? Everybody knows if you want something, just go to Walmart. It has it there. And I went and I was there right at, uh, I think, 7 o'clock. 
And I was thinking back, I was shopping with uh, one of my kids earlier this week, and, and I was looking at some jeans that were worn out. They just had holes in them and stuff like that, and they were selling them. They were, you know, I'm like, I can't believe they sell jeans with holes in them. I remember the days when I was a kid, we wore Sears Tuskins. I don't know how many of y'all remember those things, because you didn't wear holes in your pants, and if you wore a hole, then you got a patch on it. I used to have NASA patches and things like that, because I was real cool. But you didn't have holes in your pants. Now, here's the thing. So I go to Walmart to buy a pair of holy jeans. I'm thinking, I'm going to wear a pair of holy jeans today as an example because I want to be a real cool dad, uh, but also because I want to show this example, I have this great imagery. But guess what? They didn't have holy jeans for people my age and size. <laughs> so I learned a lesson. I learned a lesson. Listen to this. There are no shortcuts. Mm, right? There are no shortcuts. I couldn't just get a pair of worn out knees. I've got to do the work. Mm, I really got to do it. Mark 135 says this. It says, Now in the morning, having risen a long while before the daylight, he went out and he departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. Mark 646. And when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. Luke 6.12 says, Now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And I look at what Jesus is doing and he's continually getting away to pray. If Jesus needed to pray, how much more so do we need to pray? You know, one of the, I love to do some things. Uh, you know, I, I do some bicycling and things like that, cycling. And I love to pray while I'm cycling. I'm kind of on my own because I'm not talking to anybody. And I can do that. But you know what? This really even points to something more intense. He went away. He separated himself from all the distractions so that he could be in the quietness of the moment. He could hear from God the Father. Boy, we need this discipline in our life. We need to have a yielded life. We need worn out knees because we're bowing before God and praying. That may be the most difficult discipline for Christians to develop too, by the way. It's just uncomfortable. Get quiet for 15 seconds. It seems like forever. It really does. But praying. Listen to some of these, uh, you know, uh, Oswald Sanders wrote this. He says, Jesus prayed in the morning at the gateway of the day, and in the evening when the day's work was over, great crises were preceded by prayer. Great achievements were preceded by prayer. Great achievements were followed by prayer. Great pressure of work was a call to extra prayer. Great sorrows were met by prayer. And then here's the one that got me. He says, he died praying. Wow. Jesus' life was characterized by praying. Shouldn't we try to emulate that? Shouldn't we try to be like Him? John 14, 14 says, If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Luke 18, 1 says, Then He spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. Folks, you know, I'm the last person to sit there and, and try to convict anybody of prayer life. I mean, just looking at Jesus' life is convicting to me. My prayer life is so far off from what Jesus was. 
I need to try to achieve that, do that. But boy, that verse right there, do not lose heart. You ought to pray and not lose heart. Have you lost heart lately? Maybe. Maybe it's because we need to pray more. Man ought not to. Man should always pray and not lose heart. Matthew 7, 7 and 8 says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock, it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. And then Matthew twenty six forty one: Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Is that not the truth? Boy, the spirit's willing. We know we need it. The flesh is distracted. The flesh, it's hard to do it. Worn out knees. Living a yielded life. Thirdly, rolled up sleeves. Roll them up. Living an authentic life. You know, August 21st coming up, I hope y'all seen some of this stuff written in, in our bulletin and other stuff. I hope that you will set that day aside and be a part of the largest Crestos event that we've ever attempted here. You say, what is Crestos? Crestos comes from a Greek word found in the book of Romans where it uh, talks about uh, God's kindness. It says that God's kindness leads people to repentance. And so our goal is, through these Crestos events, is to serve others in our community without any expectation of return for the one purpose, and that is to show God's kindness so that they may be led to repentance in Christ. And we've done many of these things. We've, we've fed the poor. We've uh, we had the big pancake breakfast. We've, had, uh, we've given breakfast or dinner or lunch to the entire public, uh, uh, public service department there at Colonial Heights City. We've walked the streets cleaning and uh, beautifying the area. We've washed windows and cars. We've uh, cleaned buildings. We've done landscaping for schools and things like that. We've done a number of things, and we will continue to do th- these things over and over because we want to do what? Show God's kindness. But rolled up sleeves says that we as individuals, but we as a church should be living an authentic Christian life, and that means Jesus has called us to serve others. And August 21st, we're going to do that. Our goal is to be in about 15 different schools doing a special project at schools all around our community doing some things. And what, what a great impact for us right before they start to be able to go in and do something for our communities without expecting the community to do something back for us. We just want to show God's kindness and His love. Let's look at a couple verses. Matthew 20, uh, 25-28 says, But Jesus called them to Himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whosoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Luke twenty-two twenty-seven says, I am among you as one who serves. And of course we have the obvious example of him washing the feet and serving his disciples. So, what about for us? If that's Christ's example for us, what about us as the body of Christ? John 13, 14 says this, If I, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, and you ought to wash one another's feet, for I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. 
are we serving? Many, many of you are. I mean, we're changing diapers in the nursery. We're out in the cold, rainy day directing traffic. And I appreciate that. But it's got to be more than just Sunday mornings. It's got to be that our lives are characterized by this each and every day. And so, again, I hope that you will put aside August 21st and be a part of what we're doing there. Okay? Charles Wendall says that a true servant is someone with a passion for giving whatever without recognition, without reservation, without reluctance, and without restriction. So we have dusty shoes, worn out knees, rolled up sleeves. Fourthly, we have open hands, living a generous life. In the life of Christ, we find in Galatians uh, chapter 1, verse 4, also uh, chapter 2, verse 20, it says, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. First Timothy 2.6 says, Who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time? Titus 2.14 says, Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. How does that work for us? We see Christ. How does that work for us? We see it in Acts 20, 35. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And then, lastly, outstretched arms. Living a compassionate life. I hope by the time we get to uh, this fifth week, or it'd be sixth week actually, as we're studying this fifth particular sign of life, that we look at this and we begin to embrace the compassion that Christ had for people. It's hard because we have our own different backgrounds, our own. Uh, I'll use the word prejudice. I'm not necessarily talking about race when I say that. We just have our own ideas and backgrounds. We think about stuff. And it's hard to be compassionate about things and about people. But let's look at Christ's example. Matthew 14, 14 says, And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them, and he healed their sick. He was moved. He was compassionate. But he did something. He, will, he, he began to heal their sick. Matthew 15, 32. Now Jesus called his disciples to himself and said, I have compassion on the multitude because they have continued with me for three days and have nothing to eat. And I do not want to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. Matthew 20, 34. So Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes and immediately their eyes received sight and they followed him. Mark 141, then Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand, and he touched him, and he said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. Mark 634, and Jesus, when he came out and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them, because they were like sheep, not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. And then, I like this one. Luke 7.13 When the Lord saw her, He had compassion on her, and He said to her, Do not weep. He loves us. And He has compassion for us. 
should we not also look at people with the eyes of Christ and have compassion for them instead of judgment? Should we not look at people instead of seeing what they do wrong and, and how bad they mess up and the poor choices they make, but rather see what they can become in Christ and through Him? I am so glad that somebody looked at me that way. I am so glad that people realized that I was not going to be on the path that I started on early on and continue down that path my whole life. Wow. We far too quickly... Just write people off. We like to say, well, you know, a tiger never changes his stripes. Have you ever said that? All right, uh, guilty, raise your hand, everybody, yeah, okay. Why do we say that? Because outside the power of Christ in our life, that's somewhat true. But when Christ comes into our life, guess what? He changes us. For if anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. The old is gone. Behold, all things have become new. And that's qualitatively new, by the way. That's not refurbished. <laughs> that's the real thing. And so we become a new creation. that. How about for us as us and how we embrace compassion matthew 25 40 says assuredly i say to you inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these my brethren you did it to me and hebrews 6 10 says for god is not unjust to forget your work and the labor of love which you have shown toward his name and that you have ministered to the saints and you do that in his name dr lloyd ogilvy who used to be the former former chaplain of the u.s senate talks about visiting uh, the Queen Mary, which is one of the more famous boats in history. And he talks about how he had ridden on that boat early on when it was actually sailing, but he had gone back to visit it. And now on its decks are all kinds of little shops and things like that because you can go on there and buy souvenirs and stuff like that. And, and as he was, he watched this movie and the mo- about the history of the Queen Mary, and it ended with a triumphant but somehow tragic statement. And it says this, Uh, The greatest ship that has ever went to sea is now the greatest ship to come and see. Well, it's kind of, sounds kind of neat to do that. The greatest ship that ever went to sea is now the greatest ship to come and see. And the words were still on his mind the next day as he was greeting his congregation there at Hollywood Presbyterian Church. And a lady came up afterwards and, uh, and she said something that, in a way, was strikingly similar, but yet different. And as she met him and was greeted by him, she said, I have waited for years to visit Hollywood Presbyterian Church and see all the great things that used to happen here. That used to happen here. Friends, I started off by saying, it's exciting to come here, to anticipate seeing uh, and experiencing God in this place. We cannot take that for granted. We cannot just assume that it will always be that way. We have to practice these disciplines in our life. We have to have dusty shoes where we're going out and doing the work. We have to have worn out knees where we have a, a, a yielded and a relevant life. We have to roll up our sleeves, be authentic, and be willing to serve others 
We have to uh, be, be willing to have open hands and be generous with our time and our money or whatever it may be that God calls us with our life. We have to be generous with it. And we have to have open arms. We have to be compassionate. We have to embrace that as a way of life. The church of Jesus was a movement of the Holy Spirit. But in so many places today, that movement has become only a monument. We don't want this to be a monument. We want it to be a place where God serves. So in closing today, let me encourage you one more time. Take the next five weeks seriously. Get out of your comfort zone. If you're not in Bible fellowship, say, I will be a part of a Bible fellowship class just so I can study this a little bit deeper and I can be a, be a part of what's going on. Come on Wednesday nights at 6 o'clock. If you can't get here till 6.10, well, come at 6.10. It's okay. I know that's kind of early for some people. Why? Because we're going we're gonna to be kind of splitting up and allowing some small group discussions about the signs of life. But also... Look deep inside and realize, you know what? There may be some decisions I need to make. Maybe today you realize that there's not any signs there. And you need to see movement there. You know, in just a moment here, we're going to have some pastors down front. And, and during that time, if you would like to know more about knowing Christ as your Lord and Savior, I invite you to come and talk to one of the pastors and we'll discuss and pray with some things with you. And... Uh, Make that decision today. Some of you may have been wrestling with decisions about church membership and wondering why you need to join a church or something like that. And you know what I'll say to you? It's, you don't have to, but it's affirming what God is doing in your life. He's brought you here, and it's just saying yes to God and making that affirmation, saying, I want to be a part of what you're doing here, and I want to do that in a public way. And so I encourage you to come and to, to join a church if you haven't. Or maybe some of you just need to pray about some things. I encourage you to do those things. Thank you so much. And God's word is so good. And uh, Bill, if you'll come and lead us. And uh, again, if you would step forward and talk to one of the pastors, we encourage you to do that.